Uh, we're going to start with some scripture reading, and we'll take that scripture reading from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Who is my neighbor? That's a very probing question. It could mean a lot of things. It could be your neighbor next door who lives next door to you. You're wondering, who are they? They live next door to you, but you don't know who they are. And so, you know... Who's your neighbor? So I'll start in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. The scripture says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Anytime you're reading the Bible and it says, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? You need to put some attention on it. You've heard me said before that everything in the Bible is not a heaven and hell issue. And what I mean by that is knowing when Jesus is coming back for his church is not a heaven and hell issue. Some say he will come back before the tribulation, before the great tribulation. Some say he will come back during the tribulation. Some say he will come back after the tribulation. It does not matter whether he come back before, in the middle, or after. Uh, that has nothing to do with your salvation. So you have to ask the question all the time when you get into learning your Bible, is this a heaven or hell issue? And when it points to a heaven or hell issue, you better pay attention. Because it means if you don't do that, you won't get to heaven. But if you do that, you will get to heaven. So anytime the Bible, anytime you're reading and your Bible start to mention eternal life, make sure you focus on it. Because if you don't practice what it's saying then, you can miss out on eternal life. And so the lawyer asked them, what shall he do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? So Jesus responded back and says, okay, what does the scripture says about it? Verse 27, and he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. I don't know. I've missed it. I've missed it. And because of what we're studying, it's now emphasized like I've never even thought about it. Just think about it from this standpoint. The lawyer asks Jesus, what must he do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response was, I'm not going to make up, I'm paraphrasing here now, I'm not going to make up anything new. It's already in the scriptures. What does the scripture says? The lawyer said to Jesus, the scripture says to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So what we may have missed a long time ago is this. Loving people is a heaven and hell issue. We just read it. Loving people is a heaven and hell issue. If you're battling with loving someone, if you're battling with treating someone right, you have to overcome it. You have to pray to God and ask him for whatever you need to ask him for to help you to deal with it. I don't care what they've done. I don't care what situation you had with them. You can't make it without loving people. It's a heaven and hell issue. So we have the whole thing, you know, the Bible says you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. So we know that. We're talking about as a born-again Christian that's living for God, in order to inherit eternal life, you have to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, 
all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. There is no wiggle room in that. So whatever we're struggling with, because most of our problems, most of our struggles are with people. We don't sin because our car don't drive right. We don't sin because, well, some people do. Sin because, you know, the money is not going all good. Some people do. They go and steal because the money's not. But, but usually we, we end up doing wrong because of people, not because of things. And so we have to now begin to search ourselves to say, how do I correct this? If I'm not loving someone, how can I correct this? Because here's the story. It says, love your neighbor. So let me give you a good example. Because this was clear to me Sunday. I know the restaurants that I like to go to. I'm not loving you right if I take you to a restaurant that I don't like to go to. I'm just, I'm telling you what the scripture is teaching. So if I like to go to certain places because I think the food is good, great service, and all this good stuff, if I'm going to obey the scripture, I got to love you like I love myself. Where do I take myself to eat? Oh, I go there, but you can't go. Well, I'm not loving you like I love myself. Uh, uh-huh. That's the way it works. So however you treat yourself, in love is how you're supposed to treat your neighbor. No wiggle room in that. If I carry around a Louis Vuitton and I'm trying to let my neighbor know I'm loving her like I love myself, well, maybe I need to get her a Louis one of these days. Just thought I'd mention that. Walk back over to this side. We're talking about the scripture says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it's saying. So it's not saying you treat yourself like this, but that's you. But when it comes down to that person, they don't know how hard you work to get your money. I like how we say certain things, man. We don't even realize what we're saying. They don't understand. You know how much overtime I had to work to get this book bag or this handbag or this watch or blah, blah, blah. I hear you. Love your neighbor. As yourself. That's just the word of God. You know, sometimes we like to go back and forth and, you know, we speak our emotions. But what does the word of God says? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so we have to realize that that's how we treat one another. Yeah. This is why I try to make disciples Starbucks disciples. I'm a Starbucks person, so if you're a friend of mine, well, if you're a neighbor of mine, i got to make you a Starbucks disciple too. I'm not trying to do anything bad. I'm just treating you like I treat myself. Now, you might not like it, I understand, but all I was doing was treating you like I treat myself. Now, when you say you don't like it, then I'll say, well, what do you like? And then I'll take care of you and give you what you like. But what I'm saying is the first start of it must be, what are you doing to yourself? How are you treating yourself? And the way you treat yourself is how you're supposed to treat your neighbor. That's a heaven and hell issue. It's not one you can negotiate. It's not one you can finesse your way through. It's not one you can debate. It's not one you can use your eloquence. It is just straightforward. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're not doing that, you're in jeopardy of missing out on eternal life, according to the word of God. I can take some questions on that if you want. Verse 29 says, but he willing to justify said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? (laughs) I tell you, I love us. I love us. I love humans. So after he quoted the scripture as to say how you will receive eternal life, that you got to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, He said, I'll get Jesus. Well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? We're always trying to get out of what we're supposed to do. When God says do this, we got to finesse our way, navigate our way some way to not do what Jesus said if it's uncomfortable. Why? 
why we have to navigate and finesse our way around what Jesus said we need to do. Because it makes us uncomfortable. Remember, if you live the rest of your life comfortable, you're not going anywhere in the word of God. Because God is so different from us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so he's so different from us that the time we know we're getting it is when we begin to become uncomfortable with the things we read that we now have to apply and start living. That's when you say, I know I'm growing because I'm doing some stuff I don't like. (laughs) If you're living for Jesus and everything you're doing you like, you might not be growing. You got to examine it. Everything you do, oh, yeah, I like to do this. You might not be growing because the things that Jesus asks us to do is usually things that we don't like. And so now we have to go and do something we don't like. And Jesus didn't tell you to come up with your explanation. He asked the dude, what does scripture say? The dude told him, he said, then that's what you got to do to inherit eternal life. But the dude said, who is my neighbor? All right, let's look at verse 30. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his remnant and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. It didn't say a man. It said a priest. Be careful of church people. If you want to be a church person or a religious person, you might not be loving your neighbor as yourself. Religious people and church people, that's an example that we're receiving from here. A priest came down. And said, Mm-mm, I'm going to church. I'm going to church. I'm not messing with that. You're being religious. You're being a church person. You're not being a child of God, a disciple of Christ. You're doing your own thing. You're not loving your neighbor as you should. And so the priests didn't want to have anything to do with it. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, that Samaritan didn't know the man. The Samaritan didn't know the man. Verse 34, and went to him and bound him up and bound him up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more. When I come again, I will repay thee. When... Verse 36, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? So he said, which one of him fell among the thieves? I I skipped the verse down here, didn't I? Verse 32. Y'all didn't even tell me I skipped verse 32. Verse 32, let me go back to verse 32. And, uh, And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked upon him and passed by him on the other side. So you had the priest that passed by him. You had the Levite that passed by him. And then you had the Samaritan that stopped and took care of him. And he left money to the person that ran the hotel and said, take care of him. And when I come back, if you spent more than what I gave you, I will repay you. And so now 36, the scripture says, which one of these think it was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves and he said he that showed mercy on him then said jesus unto him go and do likewise so jesus gave you an explanation of who is your neighbor your neighbor is anyone you show mercy to 
<laughs> I've been to court many times, standing before the judge, and most of the times when I'm there, I'm there to ask for mercy for someone that's being prosecuted by the court system. And what I've learned over the years when I'm doing that is I can't get before the judge, Brother Bob, and paint a picture like you were a great guy, but, you know, just this one bad thing happened to you and the judge need to give mercy to you. I can't go before the judge that way because the judge will frown on that because there's a reason why you're standing before the judge. So I have to go and say to the judge, judge, I recognize that Bob has done this and I recognize Bob has done that. And I recognize that, you know, he 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 needs to do better. But judge, I've been working with Bob and Bob's been faithful and Bob's I can see him turn himself around and I'm still working with him. Judge, if you will be merciful to Bob, I believe his life will be totally turned around and he will be great. What I'm asking the judge to do is to rule a judgment that won't be as vicious as it needs to be or won't be as it should because of all that you've done. So who is my neighbor? The person who I'm going to go to and show mercy even though they didn't deserve mercy. So by us, she's done this to me the third time. She has done this to me. He has done this to me. Oh, they don't deserve that. You're not showing mercy, which means you're not treating that person as neighbor. And if you're not treating them as your neighbor, as you treat yourself as neighbor, then you are in jeopardy of eternal life. That's what the scripture is teaching. And so for the past four or five weeks, we've been teaching about making disciples. You being a disciple maker. We've been talking about that. And this tonight had to be brought out so you understand the importance of making disciples. By the time we get done tonight, you will realize you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to attend Bible school. You don't even have to attend the classes we do at our satellite campus here at CSTI to become a disciple maker. Being a disciple maker is not a request. It is a commandment from God. And so our part of our responsibility as Christians is to be a disciple maker. And God has clearly pointed out to us that our neighbors are everybody we show mercy to. I'll even go as far as to say our neighbors are everybody that's not saved. Everybody that is saved to us is our brothers and sisters. So if you're saved and I'm saved, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Everybody else is our neighbor because they're not our brothers and sisters and they need mercy in order to experience the salvation and the love of Christ. Because what's going to happen is you will see them and realize, you know, it's easy for us to see people just, how, how we like to say, off the chain, behaving just crazy and doing things wrong and we can say you know what not messing with them they're a mess it's easy for us to think like that but that's not the way jesus wants us to think jesus wants us to show them mercy because they're our neighbor and without mercy because remember you didn't you weren't born safe the bible says we're born in sin and shaping in iniquity. So all of us came into this world as sinners. And so it was the mercy of God why we became Christians, disciples of Christ. It was the mercy of God. It wasn't because we did something that God said, oh, let me save you because look what you just did. Did we re Do we really realize that we didn't get saved because there was some secret code or something special going on and we did it and God said, oh, you did it. You know the secret code. You can get saved. He didn't do that. It was just straight mercy. Straight mercies. You received something you didn't deserve. And if every one of us that now experience salvation is experiencing it because we didn't deserve it, but because God was merciful and loving towards us, what are we going to do with everybody else that was like us at one point in time? 
What are we going to do for all the people we come across that one day that we were just like or worse like them at some point in time? What are we going to look at them and turn our nose up? We're going to look at them and treat them unkind. That can cause us to lose out on eternal life. And so for years, we, we, we may have been in the church and we might not have understood that's a heaven and hell issue. If we treat our neighbors unkind and not treat our neighbors like we're, we treat ourselves, we could miss out on eternity. Very important. Any questions there? Someone have a question? Yes? No? No? Okay. I like questions. You know that. All right. So let's go to our book. Page 103. Second paragraph says, who is my neighbor? May be the most important question of this hour. The future harmony of humanity rests in this answer, in the answer to this question. We live in an unprecedented age of worldwide crisis, including terrorism, hatred, murder, racism, Bigotry, atrocities perpetuated against children, divorce, religious genocide, just to name a few. The good news is that there is an answer. Obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ will cure every societal ill and at no cost to the taxpayers. Unfortunately, no political or no politician would run a campaign suggesting that obedience to the gospel and becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ would all but end teenage pregnancy, abortion, STDs, addiction, domestic violence, and other such problems. So we have the solution to our problem. And all of our problems. And every time I see something off the chain and people want to get explanation and we want this deep stuff, all I ever say is, if we will just do what God says, love our neighbor as ourselves, where would we be? If we will just follow the first commandment, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. If we follow that commandment, tell me what problems we will have in our world. They would have to build more Starbuckses. Because all the people that I know and love, I would be taking them to Starbucks. Because I'm just loving them like I love myself. But the point is, all the stuff that we're experiencing, we wouldn't experience because you wouldn't want to offend or hurt or treat. Because you don't want to do that to yourself. Do you want to wound yourself? Do you want to hurt yourself? No, you don't. So you want to treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, you like nice things. You want to give people nice things. This is why I can never, I, I want to, I, I wish I had enough money to give people gifts when it was time to give them a gift. But because I need to treat people the way I treat myself, I can't afford the gifts. I'm just like, I'm stuck. Because I'm just not going to get you a gift to get you a gift. Right? I want to get you a nice gift because I like a nice gift. And so we try to go from here. Matthew chapter 18, verse 7. Matthew 18, verse 7. Very powerful scripture. Verse 7 says this. Woe! Unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses will come. But woe to that man or woman by whom the offense cometh. Try to do your best to not offend people. Try to do your best to not be the one that offended someone so bad that their life got a little jammed up because you offended them. 
Scripture says, woe unto you who cause the offense. Offenses will come. And the offense is supposed to come from our world because our world, they don't know Jesus. So they're just going to do what they do. So they will uh, cause offenses to come. But woe unto them. But now bring that into us as Christians. Woe unto us for allowing ourselves to offend others. We're supposed to be showing mercy. We're supposed to be treating people as we treat ourselves. So why would we allow offense to come from our life? This is not easy. But this is the word of God. This is a life, heaven or hell issue. How we treat people is a heaven and hell issue. So, let me just say this real quick and move on. As God works on your heart, don't let nobody make you feel guilty and tell you you a hypocrite. This is what I mean, Cheryl. Because someone has said this to me before. You all smiling in their faces and all hugging them and telling them how great they are. Um, I don't think you feel that way. I said, I do feel that way. I'm trying to be what Christ wants me to be. Because here is why the person said it to me. They think because that person did something wrong to me, I'm not supposed to be treating them the way I'm treating them. Why are you all smiling in their face when they treated you a certain way? But what a lot of people didn't know was, I understood that scripture. Sister Stephanie, I understood that scripture, that if I allow what they have done to me to mess with my heart and I start treating them wrong, I'm out of God's will. That's what I understood. Not being a hypocrite, I'm not being a phony. I understood the word of God that no matter how people treat me, I still must be a neighbor to them and love them like I love myself and treat them with mercy if I want to go to heaven because it's a heaven and hell issue. So me pushing myself and making myself to show kindness and love and mercy to someone, I'm not being a phony, I'm not being a hypocrite, I just love God, I want to go to heaven. And I'm not going to let myself get twisted up and messed up because that person made themselves get twisted and messed. No, 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 no. I got to do it right. It's a heaven and hell issue. And we kept thinking that, listen, they did me wrong. I'm just going to avoid them, stay away. Okay. That's how you treat yourself? Is that showing mercy? Yeah, but we avoid people when they've done us wrong. We stay away from them. We give them a hard time. We don't talk nicely to them. Best thing to do is just to confront it and talk about it in a nice, godly, Christian way so you can deal with it. But the more you don't talk about it, the more stuff builds up. And the more internally you start getting stuff in your spirit that you shouldn't get before you know it, your actions start coming out by avoiding them. And that's not what you really wanted, but because you didn't talk about it, because you didn't deal with it, stuff built up in you. And now you have problems with people. And now you're wondering, it started out with one person that made you mad and, and you stayed away from them. And now it's up to three and four and five. And you have a few people that you just don't want to deal with because why? Oh, they did me. They're not right. They're shady. They're whatever. They're hypocrites in the church. Listen to me. Listen to me. I remember. Let me use me again. I wouldn't get saved if I wasn't going to church and going to the, if I wasn't hanging out in the world and going to church at the same time. I wouldn't get saved. So here's what my life consisted of at one point in time, Sister Thomas. I would go partying all night, Saturday night, drink everything, and then Sunday morning I would get up and go to church. Probably still as I'm sweating, I'm sweating out alcohol and I'm in church sweating out alcohol, but I'm in church. If I didn't live my life that way, I would have never got saved. Who at that party that Saturday night was telling me about Jesus? We got to get smart and stop talking about people. 
Nobody at that party was telling me, you better go to church tomorrow and get, no, they wanted me to drink and smoke and dance and party with them all night long. So when I left that party and I just slept for a couple of hours and I woke up and went to church and I heard the preacher preach this and preach that and my heart got convicted, it's what started to change in my life. But if I just kept on just going to party and not going to church, how would I ever change? So therefore, when you're in church and you see people that's supposed to be Christians but they're not acting like it, Please don't talk about them. Please don't give them a hard time. Please don't say how much they're a hypocrite. Please don't do that because the bottom line is I'll rather them messing up out there and coming to church. Because I'm back, I'm back to my mindset about how I got saved. I know I couldn't get saved. I wasn't doing both. And as long as they're messing up out there and coming to church, they have a chance. But if they're messing up and they stay out there and never put foot in the church, how are they going to get saved? They can never get saved without the church. Nobody can get saved without the church. The Bible says the church is the mother. And Almighty God is the father. So when you, you can only be born again through the church. The church is the bride of Christ and also the children of God, the body of Christ, and also the mother of this world. God uses it to make sure we understand all the different operation of his kingdom so we can get it together. As it is in the natural, it is in the spiritual. You cannot be born without a mother, naturally. Well, spiritually, you cannot be born without a mother. We have to realize how we need to treat people. And if we can't treat people as we treat ourselves, we're going to miss out. So let's delve in a little bit more. It must need be that offense will come. Let's jump down to page 104. We'll go to the last paragraph in page 104. In my view, the church is lacking a compelling sense of responsibility to those around us. We cannot be responsible for others, but we must be responsible to others. So you're not people's parents. You don't control people's life, but you can show a sense of responsibility. What does that mean? If you see somebody doing wrong, you have to report it in the natural. Spiritually, we ought to help people grow spiritually. We ought to help people know who Christ is. I mean, this is the sense of social justice as well as having a heart for eternal destinies of lost people. Our Western cultures project an independent spirit and object to any accountability that imposes restrictions on our freedom. So let's talk about that a little bit. Because of the culture that we deal with today, here is what we're dealing with. Anything that places restriction on your life in Christ, you start to circumvent and start to not want to do it because you don't like restrictions on your life. But let's start back over. His ways are not our ways. And we went, we, we went and messed ourselves up. A long time ago. And now that you come to Christ and you're realizing that what you have been doing is not pleasing unto Christ, then guess what? It is now a challenge for you to realize that, you know what? I need some restriction in my life to get it together. Because the reason why you got to the place where you are is because you had no limits, no restriction on your life. We have to be honest about that. We had no restrictions. We did what we wanted. We did how we feel. And that's why we ended up where we ended up. If we were being disciplined, which is part of the word disciple, if we were being disciplined in our life, then we wouldn't be where we are. 
we weren't disciplined. So when we come to God, we need to realize there's going to be restriction, but it's for our very own good. We can go back to the very beginning. Adam, of all the trees in this garden, you may freely eat, but I'm giving you a restriction. There's one tree you can't eat from. That's your restriction. And so us in God, we will always have restrictions because we always find ourselves doing things we shouldn't do. So God has to put restrictions in our life so we can become what we need to become. All right. So Jesus warned us that the spirit of offense would rise in the last days. Truly, we are seeing that prophecy fulfilled through things such as political correctness and frivolous lawsuits that dominate natural and social media. This would benefit from a return to the old-fashioned neighborly spirit, a kinder, gentler, more tolerant disposition towards people who are not like us. Remember now, your neighbor is not like you. Your brother and sister is like you. And so we tend to always want to go to the people that are like us. They kind of act like me. They come from similar backgrounds, similar culture. Uh, they kind of like to do the things I like to do, so it's easy for me to befriend them. That's not your neighbor. Because, Brother D, if you and I are in church together and we're trying to live for God, we have a lot in common. You're my brother. You're not my neighbor. But the sister or the brother that's out there that's not living for God, we probably don't have anything in common. Maybe a little something here and there. And they are the ones that are my neighbor. So it's clear who we should make or who we should approach to make friends with. Now, where are we going with this? Where we're going with this is we've been talking about making disciples. And the only way you can make disciples is to find someone that's not a disciple. Right? You can't make someone that's already a disciple a disciple. You can't do that. You have to find someone that's not a disciple, befriend them, then begin to make disciple of them. Listen to me. I don't know where this came from. A few years ago, this started hitting me hard. I guess that's when the Lord was working on me about this church. But here is what hit me hard. I realized that if we don't make disciples, we're going to die old and miserable. That's what came to me years ago. We will. We're just going to get older, we're just going to be miserable, and we're going to be lonely. But when you make disciples, you will never be lonely again ever in your life. You will leave this world with a lot of people around you and enter into eternity with a lot of people around you. We... In the United Pentecostal Church International and so many other organizations all around the world just lost the iconic man of God named T.F. Tenney. I watched his funeral service, well, they don't even call it funeral service, memorial service, Tuesday night on Facebook Live. And I watched the burial the next day. And people traveled from far and near for this funeral. But the biggest thing that was the most impressive was all the people that were there and some that got up and spoke of how he impacted their life. People, if you want to die old and lonely, it's up to you. Don't make no disciples. You're probably going to miss heaven anyway, but I'm just telling you. But if you want to make sure you won't die old and lonely and miserable, we need to get moving and impacting people, impacting people's life with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not pretty when you start to get older and nobody comes around. It's not pretty when you start to get older and nobody calls you anymore. It's not pretty when you get older and people want to stay away from you. 
You think if you made disciples, they're going to want to stay away from you? Or they're going to appreciate till the day you die or they die what you have, how you have impacted their life. They will always want to be around you. People that you have loved to this truth and helped them get this gospel and now know Jesus, you and them will always be connected to the day you leave this world. Because anybody in their right mind that's living for Christ will always appreciate those that had impact in their life. So... We have to get with this. We're not, we're, we have to do a better job in becoming a disciple maker because here is truth. Sometimes, this is very important, what you need in the time of need may not come from a family member. You might want your family to do this, and you might want your family to do that. And you're like, you know, I got a family around me. They're supposed to be the ones to do it. But I'm telling you, if you'll make disciples, the things that you need when you need it, it might just come through somebody who you have made a disciple. So you home, and you're thinking that my children or my spouse or this and that, and you're thinking they're supposed to do something for you, and nobody's doing it. And you're wondering, what in the world? Nobody can do this for me? Of all the things I've done for them? Because that's how we start thinking. I've, I've treated them this way. I've done this and I've done that. And nobody can do anything for me? Be a disciple maker and you will never have that statement to make. Because God will send somebody your way. Just as you poured into somebody's life, just as you took the time to let somebody know who Jesus is, just as you nurtured somebody so they can be saved, just as you did that, when you need something, God will send someone. And it might not be your spouse. It might not be your children. It might not be your mom or dad. It might not be auntie, uncle. It might just be a complete stranger or someone you haven't seen in a long time. You don't want to mess with that. Not only that, you have to love your neighbor as yourself to get to heaven, but it's going to give you a better life. Things will just be better for you. So it's important that we start to see who is our neighbor, and our neighbor is everyone we encounter who is not saved. The Samaritan didn't know the person. That, as a matter of fact, if you want to take it deep, the Samaritan was not one who the Jews liked. And so it was the Jew that got beat up and robbed. And the Jew, all his or her life, we don't like Samaritans. Get away from us. You're like dogs to us. But who was it that took you up, put you on the beast, rode you to the inn, Pour some um, healing into you. Gave money. Say, take care of them. I'll be back. Who was it? A stranger that you didn't even like. Someone you treated really nasty all your life. And they took care of you. So you're going to realize that the people you encounter that you don't know, if you will just do what the scripture says, you're being now like that Samaritan. And that Samaritan was called one that what we read now today in the scripture, the good Samaritan. That, that's, that's what the text usually say when you read that passage of scripture, the good Samaritan. The Samaritan wasn't really saved. Are you going to let someone that really didn't know Christ outdo you who know Christ? Because that's what it came down to. The religious people. The church people crossed on the other side. But the complete stranger said, no, 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 no. One of the saddest and often repeated tragedy is for someone to die at home but remain undiscovered for several days because nobody missed that person. See it all the time, especially in the um, elderly um, apartments and buildings. People die, and it's days after they get recognized. You know why? Because we're not being neighborly. If your neighbor is missing from your local church, you know who they are. We all sit in our same seats every Sunday. Then it's your job 
to notice and to check on that person. Just pick up your phone, contact that person, and express your concern. The heart of a disciple maker is to notice who is not there. Don't pass off that responsibility to someone else. You can start making disciples right in the neighborhood of your own worship center. So, listen, we need a lot of help in this church. Brother Tom does a lot in getting this place set up all the time by himself. And I've been praying, God, send him some help. Because Brother Tom have a lot of different skills, but I don't want to overwork them. I will not do that. I will not cause anyone in this church to be doing so much that they're overworked. You have to have a balanced life. And that means serving the Lord, taking care of your family. Do all the stuff you need to do. So I'm not going to have anyone overworked and laboring so much that they don't have time for themselves. So I really would like for someone to, or, you know, get a passion to say, I want to help brother Tom. I want to, you know, be a part of what he's doing and stuff. Cause brother Tom do a lot. We need help throughout the church in doing things. So no one is loaded down or so, um, things that need to be done gets done. So we, we really need some help in, in those areas. And so we need to really look around and understand what we can do and really become a part. Nothing should stop you from becoming a part. But additional to all of that, because there's physical labor that you must do, there's spiritual things. And what that means is when you come to church, you should always look around who is not there and who is here. And when you ask yourself that question, if, if, if someone is not here, you should make it your responsibility to somehow reach out to that person. Brother Henry has always been top-notch with that. If he noticed he hasn't seen someone in a while, oh, you will get a visit or a call from him. Top-notch. We all need to have that same attitude. Who is missing? Make sure we reach out to them some way, somehow. I don't need to know your business. Just want you to know that I haven't seen you in church and I miss you. We have letters that we send out saying missing you. The church does. And we do it. But but it's always good that if the church is doing it as a whole and all of us as individual are doing it, then we are doing what we're supposed to do. So we need to do that. But also, we also, we need to look around and see people that, that come to the church for the first time or the second time, and we need to befriend them because they are our neighbor. And so when we befriend them and start to make a relationship, we need to reach out to them ever so often and, you know, kind of have a connection there and somehow build a friendship. And before you know it, start making disciple of these people. Who is our neighbor? And we can find neighbors even in the church where we come to worship. Anyone have any questions so far? Luke 15, 1 through 10, talk about the lost this and the lost that. And one of the things I like about what Luke talked about, about, you know, the lost coin. If you, if you have a coin and if you have coins and one is lost, you go after it. Um, it talk about the 90 and 9. Listen. We all like attention. You can lie if you want, but you like attention. Now, I'm not saying you like attention from everybody, but you like attention. And you want somebody to give you some attention. Somebody. Everybody in here want to get attention from somebody or somebodies. But everybody in here want attention. Don't lie to yourself. Don't go to hell over that. <laughs> but here is the truth. Jesus always tried to get us to understand if you're living for the Lord and you're really, you know, pursuing God, you're fine. The Bible says, Jesus says, I did not come for those who are well. I came for those who are sick. So unless you're sick, he is not really trying to make you the focal point. I remember I got a call one time from somebody, and they said to me, hey, I heard so-and-so is coming over to your church. They're not living right. You need to talk to them, blah, 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 blah. I said to the other person, I said to the person, I said, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. 
He don't know he was messing with the wrong person, though. He said, I'm fine. I felt good. I'm doing right. You know, I said, great. I said, Jesus said, I didn't come for those who are well, but I came for those who are sick. And that person you just described, are they well or sick? Oh, you're right, Doc. <laughs> you're right, Doc. I said, I don't get into people's business. I'm in the Jesus business. And that person is coming and they're sick and they need help. And so my job is to do the best that I can to help them get well. And I don't need to know their business. I can care less. I don't want to know no business. I just want you to get well. And well meaning get back a right relationship with Christ. That's what makes you well. Never call, Never got a call back again. <laughs> Never got another call. <laughs> but we're messed up in our head. If you're doing fine and you're well, well, pray and help the other person get restored. I don't care what you think of them. Man, who wants to see anybody miss out on heaven and go to hell? Man, I, I don't think we understand what hell really is. I don't even want my, I don't, I don't give you my worst enemy. I don't want you going there. I don't know. All right, I'm almost done. And so we'll jump down to second paragraph, um, page 106. We'll jump down. Jesus was asked the question, who is my neighbor in Luke 10:29? The doctor of the law who asked Jesus the question, first ask him what he must do to inherit or to merit eternal life. Jesus responded by asking him what the law said about it. He currently, he correctly responded in verse 27, you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. It appears that the procurement of eternal life is connected to our love to God and loving our neighbor. We can understand why loving God is part of the answer to the eternal life question, but why does loving our neighbor have anything to do with eternity? One piece of the answer to this question should be obvious. If we love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength and mind, then it should follow that we will love the things that God loves. So, again, I say this, I've said it over the years. So, the Arabia, if I say I love you and I don't love new, I'm lying. You can't say you love people and not love what they love. Oh. Uh, oh, I've seen it. We claim we love people, but we don't love what's attached to them. How can you not love what they love? If we're loving someone, but you say, I can't stand their kid, or I can't stand their child, or you don't really love that person. Stop lying. Stop lying. We can't love God. See, this is where we're struggling. See, oh man, oh man. This is why we have issues, and sometimes I tell the truth and people don't like it. If you say you love God, but you're treating people wrong, I keep my mouth shut. Because I know the word of God. And I can't justify loving God and treating people wrong and say, I know I, know I love God. But I, start, I treat people wrong. I can't do it. God died for all of you. He died for every one of you. You're near and dear. He says all of you individually are the apple of his eye. Listen, y'all know how I feel about the apple of my eye. So the deal is, if we're all the apple of God's eye, how can we love God and not love everybody? You're lying. Yeah, we got some work to do. Yes, we got some work to do. Because... You can, listen, man, we got to take the emotion out of it sometimes. I know we emotional people, but we have to take the emotion out of it. When we get stumped by the word of God, we have to take the emotion out. And I'm telling you, according to the word of God, if you say you love God, but you don't like this one and you don't like that one, you got to go back as the old time people say, you got to go back to the foot of the cross, man. That's what they say. 
You got to go back to the foot of the cross. You got to go reestablish your relationship with Jesus Christ in order to make sure you love him and love people. But if you're claiming to love him and you're saying, I can't stand that one and nah, I don't mess with them. Uh, it don't work that way. It don't work that way. I know that's a tough pill to swallow, but we're going to have to swallow it if we want to get to heaven. We're going to have to swallow that pill if we want to get to heaven. The golden rule teaches us to treat others the way we would like to be treated. I'm not sure how anyone can inherit eternal life by only loving God and themselves. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. And we, we have to get a hold of this because we're just only caring about ourselves and God. And it's not working because really and truly, if, if, if God can just show us a picture of your heart and your mind, you're not loving God. You're just, you're leaning on God for what he can do for you. Oh, come on. We do it all the time. We do it in the natural. We roll with people because of what they can do for us, not because we love them. There's a benefit for just hanging with you. There's a benefit for being around you. But as soon as the benefit is gone, I'm leaving you alone. And since God's benefits never go, you hang with him, not because you love him, but because he has good benefits. And every once in a while, God just hold back the benefits and then you backslide. Because you thought the, the benefits are dried up. No, it's not dried up. God just holding back a little bit. What do you think happened to Job? Does Job serve God for naught? That's what the devil said. You know what he was saying? Job is only serving you because you have blessed him. And God got indignant. If, if you ain't ever seen God get indignant, he got indignant with that statement. The devil accusing Job for serving God just because of stuff. And that's why the Lord said, all right. Do what you got to do to his stuff and see if he stops serving me. And some of us got to check ourselves and say, if the benefits don't seem to be flowing the way they used to, will I still live for God? And so the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. Jesus said, but, well, I might have missed something here. Let me go back. I'm not sure how anyone can inherit eternal life by only loving God and themselves. The kingdom of God doesn't work that way. Jesus said, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's Matthew 6:15. He indexed our receiving forgiveness from God to our willingness to unwillingness to Forgive others. The question remains, however, who is your neighbor and how do you love your neighbor as yourself? Hmm. That's heavy. I'm going to have to stop there. I got, I, I'm going to pick back, pick back up next week. I'm going to stop there because I think this is worth two lessons. Who's your neighbor? This 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 should help you get saved. <laughs> I know you thought you were saved already. This will help you get saved some more. <laughs> because we we overlook this is a big overlook that we do that you know um you know they're okay with me. I just don't really mess with them. We say that all the time. They're okay with me, but I just don't mess with them. And then y'all laugh at me who goes smile and shake their hand and like look at him. He know he don't like them. Yes, I do like them. You just can't do what I do. Sharon, they be mad because they can't do what I do. I would go up to people, praise the Lord, how are you? Give them the big smile, and somebody might corner eye me over there and says, he know that person don't like him. That don't have nothing to do with me. You know, I'm trying to make sure I make myself available so they don't have to work. I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. I don't want to be the one to cause the offense to somebody. And if that happens, man, I weep and I go before the Lord and say, please forgive me. You know the reason why? And, I, and then I go to the person to ask for forgiveness because the, the bottom line is I don't want to be a stumbling block. And when you spend your life being a disciple maker, you know if you, cause to, if you allow yourself to be a stumbling block to someone, you know it's bigger than really what it is. You don't want to do that. So we need to do our very best to love our neighbor as ourselves, and who is our neighbor? Everyone that's not a Christian. Wherever you go, 
Whoever you see, you need to know who they are because if they're not a Christian, they are your neighbor. And we have to love them as we love ourselves. When you go to Dunkin' Donuts or wherever you go, do you buy a cup of coffee for someone? When you go out to do something, do you see someone and try to be kind to them? Whatever you're going to the store for, do you do something to get something from the store? Uh, do you try to get, buy something for them as well? That's loving your neighbor as yourself. We, gotta, we can't be selfish. We got to start putting some of our investment and some of our time into other people. Let's stand and we're going to pray tonight.